Hey guys, before uh, I get started and read my text, I got three or four things I want to tell you or say to you. Um, First of all, uh, as you all know, uh, it has begun. Um, I went to Macy's on Friday uh, for the doorbusters, and um, that is something I will never do again. Um, I I, I thought parking places were certainly not that valuable, but uh, apparently they are. Um, But guys, uh, we've got so many things around here for you to do that will redeem this season. One of them is this coming Saturday. We're going to pack 300 boxes, and we're going to give them all away. We're going to buy them. um, And um, don't stay home Saturday morning and watch, you know, Nick at night. Um, You you know, if you don't even buy a box, if you don't don't even pack them, Come get a donut and sit and watch on this beehive of activity and watch people sweat and work and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a refreshing morning and it's, it's so much sweetness. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, of course, um, oh, uh, a week from this coming Saturday is this trip to French Camp Academy. You know, I want you to meet my granddaughter. Come here, Frida. This is my granddaughter who is a student at French Camp Academy. Uh, consequently, I have a vested interest in French Camp. Um, uh, they're the, the biggest social event they have all year is the thing that Grace Van pulls off for them on the 13th of, 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 this, of December. Um, we send box, uh, busloads of people down there. We transform French Camp. We feed them. It, it's, uh, they get all excited and dressed, right? Yes. Right. Um, and dressed up. It's, it's the big social event. So if it's cheap. You can take your whole family for 45 bucks and we feed you and, and you can take a bus down there and it's, it's, it's a long day. It's noon and midnight. You get back here at midnight. But it's a sweet thing and French Camp Academy gets all hot and bothered about uh, the thing that we're going to pull off for them, darling. Um, and Frida will be there and, and she will thank you personally, I promise. Uh, but, uh, so that's, that's available to you. Um, I, I just hope you won't sit idly by and miss out on all this stuff. Now, also, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, three days, um, if you are a member of this church, you have a duty, um, not an option, a duty. Gang, we don't have business meetings, and I know that you've had business meetings in the past, and you're kind of reluctant to be a part of a bit. This is not a business meeting. This is where we choose our, the men to lead us. The 11 names are in the bulletin. You have a duty. It's a family meeting where we, um, where we ask for the leadership of the Holy Spirit to, lead our, to choose our leaders. This Wednesday night. starts at 6.45. We're out of here. Um, I don't know, by 7.30 or so. Depends on how long it takes them to count. So come be with us. Um, um, <clears throat> now I got one other thing and I'm done. I have been told that as you age, uh, you, your systems, your, your physical systems uh, are not as efficient. Well, I'm experiencing that, and, and I'm developing allergies that I have never known before, uh, particularly this time of year. I've never experienced this kind of problem, but I, I'm experiencing it now, and just was completely shut down last week, as you may know. Um, but I'm on all kinds of little antihistamines, which dry out my vocal cords, so I got to drink water, I got to suck on these things, and you know, um, and, and I hope you'll just bear with me. I'm going to say this this time, and I'm not going to say it anymore, but uh, the last thing in the world that I want to do is to cough into that microphone. 
Uh, I know that just kind of jars you, and, and, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, um, but my, one of my greatest preacher heroes used to pop things into his mouth the whole time. I, I guess I got to start doing that, you know, drinking water. And so forgive all the distraction. I'm trying not to draw any attention away from the text. It, what can I tell you? I'm, I'm just an old dude, and, um, and it's, it is breaking down, and that's where it shows up. So also... Some of you will really like this. I am going to try in the coming months and years to rely on this thing instead of this thing. So I'm going to try to back off and, uh, you know, kind of let the amplifier do the, do the work. All right? You might like that, you know? Who knows? All right, now to the text. It's in John chapter 14. Um, it's, it's brief. It's only three verses as we work our way through this Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ. And it reads like this. Verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. (laughs) The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that of course endures forever. Guys, guys, don't you hate verses like these? <laughs> you, know, you know, I really shouldn't say that. That's, that's ugly. Uh, l- let me start over. Um, don't verses like these make you squirm? Um, were it not for the fact that I, I try to preach through books of the Bible, I would never choose this text as my text for a Sunday morning sermon. Um, I, interestingly, which I'm going to explain in a minute, it's designed to comfort us. But in my case, and I think maybe in yours, but maybe not, but may, it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, why? What, what's so uncomfortable about the text? Well, a couple of things. Um, this, this whole idea of greater works, the works that you saw me do, you'll do too. Greater works. You done any of those lately? I mean, um, you feel like you did a greater work, did you? That makes me uncomfortable. Or this whole idea of a solid, productive prayer life. My prayer life stinks. Um, Why is it that prayer ranks so high on scales of biblical importance... And, and so low on scales of actual satisfaction. A- am I that unspiritual? Or, or, or did God somehow, did he change the deal? Now gang, um, I'm hoping that by the time we're done here this morning with these three little verses, which, which are, <laughs> they, they need to be understood but I'm hoping that as, if we do understand them better, 
that something of what our, that it'll remove some of our um, discomfort um, with the text and then increase our satisfaction with this whole thing known as prayer. But to do that, I I need to correct what I think is some faulty thinking. I, I think we think wrongly about this text and because we misunderstand it, it somehow uh, makes us uncomfortable. I'm hoping to eliminate some of that so that we can enjoy this. So that's what we're trying to do. Before we get to the, the correcting of the faulty thinking, there, there's something about this text that you, at least this much you got to know. This text is a continuation of the theme of verse 1. Verse 1 says, do not let your heart be troubled. This text, this paragraph, is a continuation of that theme. (coughs) It is not designed to make us uncomfortable. It's not designed to, um, to expose all of the flaws in our prayer life. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the, the longer I've studied these four chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16, the more I've come to the conclusion that all of this, these four chapters, is designed to bring comfort to, God's, to, to, to his people because he knows he's about to leave them. If you want to watch Jesus Christ being a shepherd to his sheep, then read these four chapters because over and over again, he is concerned for them because he knows that he's going to, He's about to depart. This, this little paragraph is a, is a continuation. It's an additional ground of consolation for some, some pretty upset guys. Guys who are thinking something like this. They're thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, Jesus is leaving and this ministry is going to be left in our hands. Oh, we're, we're, we're done for. It's over. I mean... Um, with him gone, our, our job is going to be impossible. What future is there for this ministry if he's not here? We're sunk without him, and we've already proved that. Now, <clears throat> into that troubled mindset, Jesus speaks, and he says, no, 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 guys, hold on, hold on. Um, there's, there's really no need to worry. There's no need for all this defeatism. In fact, he says, you're thinking that this ministry is over and I'm here to tell you that you're going to do greater works than even I have done. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What kind of hype is that? Greater works than he has done. Now guys, that's what, that's, that's. That's one of the places of our confusion. Because I think when we read this greater works, we think, oh, we're going to do something miraculous. This is not talking about miracles. And let me show you why. Let me, let me explain. If you look in the text, you'll see the word works is in italics. Do you see that in verse 12? It's in italics. That means it's not in the Greek. And it's not. It's not in the Greek language. The, the, the thing that Jesus says is you're going to do greater, in essence, you're going to do greater things. Um... It's not a reference to miracles. So if you hadn't worked any miracles lately, you can relax. Because that's not what this is talking about. Let me give you an example. 
Um, in the book of Acts, now you know what the book of Acts is. It's the next book after John. It's a history book. It's the record of the early church history after Jesus is gone. In the book of Acts, nobody ever walks on water. Nobody ever turns water to wine in the book of Acts. But here's what they did do. On one occasion, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are converted in one, in one afternoon. You go to chapter 4, and 2,000 more are added. Uh, you go to chapter 6, and um, it, it is said that, that many of the priests became believers. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I think that you would agree that seeing people come out of spiritual darkness into spiritual light is better than turning water into wine. In terms of scope, in terms of reach, in terms of just raw numbers, what happens at the hands of the apostles is greater works than what, even what Jesus did. Jesus never reached 3,000 people and saw 3,000 people converted. Uh, he might have spoken to an audience that size, but not that many were all converted on one occasion. You know, let me give you a contemporary example. Billy Graham, with the aid of technology, has spoken to millions with one sermon. Greater works, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the things that Jesus has in mind when he says, you saw the things that I did where you're going to do them, and you're going to do them in a greater way in terms of expansiveness and in terms of just raw numbers. And that ought to comfort you. Far from this ministry being over, no, 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 no. Why, you guys have just begun, and you're going to do greater works, greater things. That is designed, ladies and gentlemen, to comfort people who think that without him being here, nothing can be accomplished. Oh, yes, it can. Now, but how? How are these greater things accomplished? Well, he says so in the text. He says, these things you will do because I go to my father. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you'll find chapter 16, this will clarify pretty easily, I think. It's in verse 7, 16, 7. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you get it? Jesus is, is saying this. You're going to do some greater things because I go to my Father. Because once I get to my Father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But if I don't go, I don't send him. So, these greater things are going to be done because the Holy Spirit's on his way. He arrives in Acts chapter 2. It's called Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes in fullness. And it is because the Holy Spirit's presence that everything changes. And the greater things begin to happen. Now, guys, we got a lot to say about the Holy Spirit of God, and we're going to do that in the coming weeks. But for now, just know this. In terms of how are these greater things going to be done? Well, they're going to be done because the Holy Spirit is about to come in fullness. And not only that, the other part of the explanation as to how these great things are going to be done is because of prayer. And that's what he mentions in verses 13 and 14. Guys, um, the first thing that you need to understand about prayer is that prayer removes all sense of 
distance between us and the departed Savior. Um, His leaving does not mean that we lose all sense of connection to him. It is prayer that connects us with our now departed Savior. It is prayer that is our declaration of dependence on him. And did you notice? Did you notice in the text who he said would be answering their prayers? He would be. Which is another indirect, subtle claim to deity. But the point is, I'll be listening and I'll be answering. The way you're going to get this job done, these greater works, the way that you're going to get it done is because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you and I are going to stay connected via prayer. Now, guys, um, concerning this prayer thing, so many of us uh, are guilt-ridden over our pitiful prayer lives. And, and we probably should be guilt-ridden because we're prayerless. But part of the explanation, I think, part of the explanation for our prayerlessness is that we're confused. We're confused about the nature of this thing called prayer. And um, I would even say that one of the biggest parts of our confusion lie in three words. It's mentioned twice, in my name. It's those three words that I think plunge us into the, the heart of the mystery of prayer. In my name. Um, that's where our confusion lies. What does that mean? Um, can I ask for anything and then tack on a in Jesus name at the end and um, expect to get it? Uh, is it some kind of guarantee? Is it a formula, kind of a abracadabra prayer? Can I pray like this? Can I pray, <clears throat> oh, Jesus, I pray that you would not come again for your second coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you think that that's going to be answered in the affirmative? Of course not. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a magical formula. We are not being handed a blank check that Jesus has already signed so that we can just fill in the blank. All of that business, all of that confusion about, well, if I pray in his... It's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. And it's that nonsense that is the biggest part of our problem in prayer. Um, Because we pray, we say in Jesus' name, nothing happens, and we think, well, to heck with this. And we give up. So, what is Jesus teaching us here concerning this vital part of the soul's development called prayer. Well, first of all, let me say this, that it is not about form. It's not about a formula. It's not about checking boxes, doing it right. 
It's about devotion. It's about intimacy. Now, guys, let me say it simply. I think the in Jesus' name is the same thing that John says in 1 John chapter 5 when he says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. If we pray anything according to his will slash in his name, he hears us. Folks, um, what we're doing when we pray is that we're seeking to identify with the purposes of Jesus Christ. We are not seeking to change him. We're seeking to be changed by him. Folks, we're seeking to be brought into conformity with his will. All that his name stands for, that's what we're praying for, or that's what what gets answered. Think, Think of it like this. Can God answer my request, or is it inconsistent with his will or his nature? Or, or how about this? <clears throat> could I say, um, could I add this to my prayer? Because Jesus wants it. Oh God, would you give me that new house? Because Jesus wants it. Oh God, I really need that new job. Because Jesus wants it. Really? Jesus is telling us, ladies and gentlemen, that he will answer prayer when it is in harmony with his will. Let me tell you a story. I I didn't make this story up. In fact, I don't even think it's a true story, but I heard somebody tell it, and I thought it was a good illustration. So let me tell you the story. There's a family. They have one child. It's a boy. Um, he's a high school senior. He's very bright, very bright. And um, he scores real high on all the tests. And um, he gets accepted to Harvard. Harvard offers him um, lots of scholarship aid to come to Harvard. But there's still this large gap between what Harvard offers and what the family has to pay. Money that the family does not have. And so the mother and daddy get together. <clears throat> and they um, they pray about it, they think about it, and they uh, they call their son in and they say, "Son, your mother and I have have, have talked a whole lot about this, and um, uh, we think we can really cut some corners. That um, I'm going to get a second job, and your mother's going to clean some houses uh, because we really want you to get this Harvard education." And son, if you, if you need anything, you, you call me and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. <clears throat> so about six months uh, elapse and the boy goes to Harvard and he's doing really well and he's making good grades. And one day he calls his daddy and he says, daddy, uh, uh, could, you, could you send me $1,000? Dad says, well, 
son, that's a, <clears throat> that's a whole lot of money. And um, I mean, what do you need it for? And he says, well, um, me and some of my friends, we want to go skiing. And I'm going to need to buy some, um, some uh, ski equipment from our, for our ski trip. And the dad says, um, no. And the boy says, but dad, you said if I need anything that you would get it. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think that daddy lied to his son? Or was that request out of harmony with his father's intention? Gang, all I'm saying is what you're being promised here is like that. You ask anything in my name that is consistent and in harmony with my will. And I will do it. You know, in my own family, my, my children would do that to me. And, you know, I, I wanted to be known as, um, you know, the all-American dad, dad number one. I, I failed, by the way. But, um, you know, they come to daddy and they want something and, you know, daddy wanted to give it to them. And, but there were, there were occasions when they would ask for things that were just utter foolishness. And to those foolishnesses, I would have to say no. And then they would all pout, you know, and get all, just like we do, you know, when we don't get what we want when we pray. My daughter would come and she would say, Daddy, I'm hungry. I want a candy bar. And I would say no. And I would hand her an apple. And um, <clears throat> I answered her prayer request or I answered a request. I answered it in a far um, different way than she thought. In fact, I, I answered it better. The anything of verse 14 is that thing which is consistent with his glory. In fact, what we're trying to do, ladies and gentlemen, when we pray is set aside our will So that we can have his. You know, gang, think about it. What, what would happen if, um, if God answered every one of our prayer requests the way we, that we thought? I want to read you a quote from George MacDonald. George MacDonald, you might, might not know that name, but he was C.S. Lewis's mentor. And if C.S. Lewis thought he was smart, he was pretty smart. But uh, George MacDonald said this. Um... A God that should fail to hear, receive, and attend to one single prayer, I cannot believe in. But a God that would grant every request of every man or every company of men would be an evil God. That is no God at all, but a demon. You know, know, I'm not sure I would have said it quite that strongly, but, but who of us would not say, I am so glad that God didn't answer everything I asked for. And Billy Graham tells the story of uh, being in love with a woman before he met Ruth, his wife. And he um, longed to have this girl, you know, love him. And she broke up with him and broke his heart. And he moaned and moaned and moaned. And then he met Ruth. Then he looked back and he said, oh God, 
I'm so glad you didn't give me what I asked for. How many of us wouldn't say that? <clears throat> you, you, um, you don't know this name either. Her name is Simone Vale. Simone was a part of the French underground in World War II, and uh, she was Jewish. And Simone Vale, I think this is such an interesting story. She had, she had terrible migraine headaches. And to, to deal with her migraine headaches, she would, she would meditate on um, great works of literature. Somebody gave her something that was written by a Christian, and as she meditated on it, meditated on it, she became a Christian. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but that woman, Simone Vale, said this. Isn't it the greatest possible disaster when you are wrestling with God not to be beaten? The greatest disaster, ladies and gentlemen, is to not lose. Not to lose. You know what she's alluding to, don't you remember? You know the story in Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestled with God at Peniel and he comes into the wrestling match and he's, you know, kind of arrogant and, and um, corrupt and just a donkey. They wrestle all night and God dislocates his hip. And he leaves limping for the rest of his life. He wrestles with God and he loses. And he loves it that he lost. Because in the losing, he was brought more into conformity with the God to whom he prayed. You know, guys, think of it like this. That thing that you so much think is a defeat may be one of the most enduring victories of your life. Guys, the real value of a persistent prayer life is not so much that we get what we want. The real value is that we become different people. That we get molded. The, the promise here of verse 14 is attached to those prayers that are prayed which are according to his perfections. Things that will ultimately glorify him. Things that will promote what he promotes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what it means to pray in my name. And the better I know him, the more I find myself praying in accord with that revealed will of his. One grows in his ability to discern what God is up to on this earth as they get to know this Savior better and better. So, um, tell me this. A little dissatisfied with your prayer life, are you? You want to improve it? I can tell you how. You get to know this Savior deeper and more intimately. I'll read you one more quote, and this is from Henry Nowen. I love this, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is, this is me. <laughs> he says, um, 
sitting in the presence of God for one hour every, each morning, day after day, week after week, and month after month, in total confusion and with a myriad of distractions, radically changes my life. Isn't that what you experience, ladies and gentlemen? You sit in the presence of God and then a, a fly lands on your nose. You're sitting, you're trying to pray and then this ugly thought pops into your head. You're, you're trying to concentrate on God and, and, and the telephone rings. Sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, day after day, week after week, and month after month, in total confusion and with a myriad of distractions, radically changes my life. That's what we're after. Am I, am I the only one in here that um, thinks there needs to be some changes? I think all of us would agree that changes are needed. But you, um, you got to know this, folks. There is no deep down soulish change that occurs until you recognize how powerless you are over your own sin. Real change begins when there is a change at the center of me. When I finally stop trying to save myself with all of my good performances, when I finally give up this self-salvation project that I've got and embrace this Jesus as my only hope of deliverance from sin. Step one, ladies and gentlemen, yield, yield all of you, yield everything. To this Jesus. Our Father, I pray that you will um, help clarify the, your people's thinking. That you might um, help us adjust what we expect. That you would change our, um, our formats. And that you would find us more and more being slowly changed into the image of the Savior of ours. And Father, if you have brought people in here this morning who have not yet met this Savior, would you cause them to see that the thing that separates them is their own supposed goodness? That it is, that it is their self-salvation effort that is preventing them from yielding to the Savior that they so desperately need. Lord, do that over and over again. Might we be a part in this church of those greater things that you're up to in the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do that, O oh God. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.